Welcome to the apocalypse. That is what I've been calling the last uh, several days we've been living through. Today is supposed to be Welcome Sunday, and after this service, uh, children are supposed to run out onto the front lawn of the church and enjoy a, a bounce house. Maybe we would have had a dunk tank, but maybe not because of a drought. Uh, we'd have our great men's group barbecue. But instead, here we are uh, in a week that's been pretty heavy in a lot of ways. We have the pandemic. The entire West Coast is on fire. We have terrible air. It's the beginning of the weirdest school year ever. Divisive politics. This week, we had the anniversary of 9-11. Oh, there's a lot going on. So first, let's just take a moment and uh, and take a breath. Just join me in taking one deep breath. Feel the, the breath of God breathe on you and breathe through you. Today in our gospel passage, we have what is often referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in this parable, like a lot of the parables, uh, Jesus uses hyperbole or extreme examples uh, to make some really fundamental points. Peter asks how many times he must forgive someone and if seven times is enough. In the Bible, the number seven represents completeness. So Peter, when he says seven, he's like seven should be a complete number. That should be enough. But Jesus says not seven times, but 77 times or seven times 70. And what Jesus means is unending or infinite. Seven is not complete forgiveness. You must always be offering forgiveness. And it's important to understand the numbers that are being used in terms of the slaves or servants uh, that owe money to the landlord. The first servant owes 10,000 talents to the landlord. One talent equals about 15 years of wages for a laborer like this servant. 15 years. That's one talent. So this slave servant owes 150,000 years of wages to the landlord. 150,000 years of wages. That's absurd. No one could ever pay that. Uh, and no one at that time could probably ever earn that. Uh, at least not a laborer. The second servant owes a hundred denarii. Now, a denarius was what you would get for about one day's wage. So the second servant owes the first servant a hundred days' wages. And the message here is that God is like the Lord who forgives 150,000 years of wages. But the one who was forgiven that will not even forgive someone who owes him a hundred days' worth of wages. Imagine you're that first 
servant and such an incredible debt has just been forgiven. Or your own experiences of being forgiven. How do you respond to being forgiven? What, what's the emotion that comes forth? What do you feel if you've been forgiven? Maybe relief? I think the most appropriate response to forgiveness is gratitude. And what we see in this parable is that the unforgiving servant who had been forgiven lacks gratitude that such an enormous debt has been forgiven him. He lacks gratitude, which is how we should respond to forgiveness. And Jesus' point in this gospel is twofold. First, as we heard in the psalm, God is infinitely merciful and full of compassion. And when we ask, God forgives us. When the servants say, have patience with me, it is a way of saying, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And the second point is that we are to forgive as God forgives. The poet Alexander Pope wrote, to err is human, to forgive is divine. We all sin. God forgives. And we should forgive as God forgives. We hear this in our most important prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's such an important phrase. Forgive us as we forgive. One writer put it this way. Forgiveness does not flow to us if it does not flow through us. God is always merciful, but we cannot ask God for forgiveness and expect it if we do not forgive others. Now, forgiveness is really hard work, which might be why almost every major religion in the world teaches forgiveness. And we don't always understand forgiveness, which is part of what makes it even harder for us Forgiveness does not mean forgetting what happened to you or pretending that it wasn't bad or hurtful or destructive. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is about letting go of the hold the person who hurt you has on you. Letting go of that. Nelson Mandela said, not forgiving someone, and he would know something about needing, uh, about forgiving when he probably didn't even need to in terms of justice, but still in faith, said, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison yourself, but expecting it to kill that person. Rabbi Harold Kushner told this story. A woman in my congregation comes to see me. She is a single mother, divorced, working to support herself and three young children. She says to me, since my husband walked out on us, every month is a struggle to pay our bills. 
I have to tell my kids that we have no money to go to the movies. Well, he's living it up with his new wife in another state. How can you tell me to forgive him? I answered her, I'm not asking you to forgive him because what he did was acceptable. It wasn't. It was mean and selfish. I'm asking you to forgive because he doesn't deserve the power to live in your head and turn you into a bitter, angry person. I would like to see him out of your life emotionally as completely as he is out of it physically. But you keep holding on to him. You're not hurting him by holding on to that resentment, but you are hurting yourself. What have been your experiences of forgiving someone or being forgiven? You can text them in during the service or email me. It's good to reflect on those experiences of forgiving and being forgiven. And like I said, forgiveness can be really hard work. One of the most difficult experiences of forgiveness I had was with my best friend in high school, from high school. And when he was in college, he dry, died in a drunk driving accident. He was the passenger. The driver survived. But they'd both been at a frat party and uh, had got, both had gotten quite drunk and were driving back to campus when they crashed and he was killed. And when I got the news, I was devastated and grief-stricken for days. But eventually that grief started to turn into anger at him for the choice that he had made to put himself in such danger, the choice he had made that took my best friend away from me, and I was angry with him. And it took me a while to, to work through forgiving him for dying because I was angry at him. And it, it took a while, it, like a couple years, to get over just kind of forgiving him. I mean, I love him every Sunday. I pray for him and remember him with thanksgiving. But I've forgiven him from that, for that act. Other times we may have a situation that happened to us where we're anger and we, we hold on to that resentment like the story from Rabbi Kushner. Last year I had an experience where a friend came to me and said he wanted to talk. I was like, great. And he told me about something I had done that had uh, hurt his feelings and damaged our friendship. And I had no idea that it happened. It wasn't my intent at all. But I totally understood what he meant, and I could understand why what I had done uh, had hurt him so much. And I was grateful that he had told me, right? He could have just held on to that resentment or gossiped to someone else about it. But he came to me and told me. And that also meant that I could ask him for forgiveness, and then I could take steps to repair that breach in our relationship. It was an important thing for me just recently in my own life to live through. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. We can be really hard on ourselves 
There was a theologian who was also a psychologist who believed that sometimes the mental illness people suffer is the result of their inability to forgive themselves. In the parable that we heard, the Lord forgives the debt completely until the one forgiven demands payment and won't forgive the, the second servant. But the Lord forgives the debt. It is gone. In the Episcopal Church, we have confession. We call it reconciliation of a penitent because the focus is not so much on just confessing the sins but on reconciling, being penitent and then being reconciled and forgiven. And towards the end of that service, the priest says to the person confessing, the Lord has put away all your sins. They have been put away. They are gone. Which also means we need to stop holding on to them. Right? Continuing to hold on to the things we have done, continuing to feel uh, guilty about them can be a form of indulgence almost that itself is destructive so when we have been forgiven we need to let it go put it away not forget but let it go so I have some homework for you today I want you to get a piece of paper and on one side I want you to write down something you need to be forgiven for. Forgive me for whatever it is. Write down something that you need to be forgiven for. And on the other side, I want you to write down something that you need to forgive someone else for. Right? Forgive me for, and I forgive two sides of the same piece of paper because remember they're related. Our being forgiven and our forgiving are connected. Remember, forgiveness does not flow to us if it does not flow through us. I want you to pray over this piece of paper. Ask God to forgive you for what you need to be forgiven for. If there's a person involved, you might even reach out to them and ask for forgiveness. And then also forgive the person that you need to forgive. And if it's appropriate, you can let them know that you have forgiven them. Now, in the church, when we do exercises like this, uh, we would often symbolically burn them as a sign of them uh, going away. Burning paper would not be a good thing to do right now in uh, Marin with the air quality we have, so I've got a better suggestion for you than burning it. And after you have prayed for these things, I want you to take the paper and put it in your compost bin or your recycling bin, because it's a great metaphor for forgiveness. 
Forgiveness brings new life, just as composting and recycling does. Let us forgive as we have been forgiven. Amen.